Legacy is a global co-working and conference community. We've had our fingers on the pulse of co-working since 2012, and we've connected thousands of operators, both in person and online. On the Juicy Podcast, we talk with the people making it happen day in and day out. Let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Juicy Podcast. My name is Liz Elam, and I am your host. And I am super excited to have Dan Van Rossum with us this morning. Did I say that right? Super impressive. I like it. (laughs) And Dan is joining us from nighttime in Vietnam. Yeah, very, very nice, I mean. Yeah. Although, as you know, I have a newborn. So for me, day and night is pretty much the same at this point. I figured that's why I wasn't really worried about (laughs) coming the late night for you. Because I'm like, oh, he just sleeps whenever he can. He's fine. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, you know, during this fun time, and generally always, I have a first question that's always the same, which is, how are you? Well, that's probably uh, the most difficult question to answer at this time, because uh, it's... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's been a year, huh? Yeah. Liz, it's been a yeah. year. Hell, it's been and you know, a, our new year is officially in... Uh, uh, it's been an interesting new year here in the States, too. Yeah, what was that like? Well, just so you guys know, we're recording this on January the 7th, which is the day after people tried to take over the U.S. Capitol. And, you know, I don't delve into politics in general. Um, I just try mm. to stay away from it and just stick with business. But I have to say, I'm horrified and ashamed at the behavior of people yesterday and of our soon-to-be former president. Yeah, I I saw just a a few images literally just before we started recording this because that Mm -hmm. kind of news doesn't really reach us too much. But uh, yeah, that looked uh, crazy. That was crazy. It's embarrassing. It was spectacle. So so I will ask you, how how do you feel? I am feeling pretty good. Mm-hmm. Politics aside, um, we've got a new year. <laughs> Vaccines are rolling out and we're working mm-hmm. on planning a physical juicy. I don't know when that's going to be yet because we have to, the vaccine is getting rolled out slower than anticipated. But, um, yeah. you know, we're we're working on programming for a new juicy. We're doing a ton of programming now, which is great. And, you know, personally, I'm healthy. My family's healthy. I live in beautiful, sunny Austin, Texas. I have absolutely nothing to complain about. That's what matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's it like with COVID and Vietnam right now? Last time we spoke, it was like a non-starter. It was like no big deal. It was gone. Everything was good. Yeah. It didn't really change much after that. So um, I think we had, you know, we bordered China in the north. So mm-hmm. we were definitely one of the first ones to receive the gift of COVID. Mm. But, uh, you know, the government, you know, both because I think they have the experience of dealing with SARS in the last uh, kind of like a pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And also just generally like the way things are structured here, just acted very quickly and, uh, you know, shut down a couple of towns, basically, you know, isolated people, uh, not mm-hmm. so um, uh, voluntarily, basically. <laughs> if the internet connection drops, all of a sudden, you know, it's someone who was listening in and said, yeah, this <laughs> this is enough talk about the Vietnamese government. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Still a socialist country, but uh, yeah, no, they were just very quick to react. And I think, you know, like uh, one year, almost one year later now, right? Like since mm-hmm. since it broke out here, um, we've had maybe like 1,100 people infected. I think only about 30 wow. people who actually passed away from it. So yeah, it's been wow. very mild. And, and honestly, like every single time when it pops up again, you know, we are literally, our news is literally like one case detected. Like that's the mm-hmm. headline. 
one case yeah. detected and then you know the police is just super quick in sort of like tracing down all the people that person would have been in contact with they immediately test them they immediately isolate those people so even if there's like one new case it gets shut down uh, pretty mm -hmm. quickly and those would be someone like the last one was someone who I illegally crossed the border from mm. Cambodia which is on the on the west uh, from us mm -hmm. um, and so brought it into the community but yeah it's been incredible how quickly they've kind of like shut it down so yeah wow and you know you just don't hear about it we hear it over over here we hear about New Zealand and we hear about Korea mm -hmm. and maybe Singapore and people aren't talking yeah. about Vietnam and so that's that's so impressive. Well, it's, here you go. You heard it first on the juicy podcast. Vietnam is doing right. well. We're <laughs> COVID wise. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Well, the next question that I'm throwing in there is, how did you end up in Vietnam? Uh, by uh, by plane <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, economy class. Just to quickly clarify that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, 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 so I've been in Vietnam now for about, uh, five years. Hmm. Um, I'm still as pale as, uh, as I was before I moved to Vietnam, even though it's a tropical climate, it's like 90 degrees year round. <laughs> There's literally no, not even a spring or, or an autumn, let alone a winter. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I was working for, uh, an advertising agency, uh, before I joined this new adventure and I started with them in Amsterdam, which is where I'm from and moved with them from Amsterdam to uh, New York, mm. uh, then lived in Chicago for a while. And then after two winters in Chicago, I don't count oh, yeah. my Chicago time in years, I counted in winter. So after two winters, I decided it was enough. And then I moved to Singapore, which is like the opposite sort of climate oh, of, uh, of Chicago. And then from Singapore, eventually I moved to Vietnam. I, I had a regional role. So mm -hmm. basically like every week or every two weeks, I would be flying to one of the cities in Southeast Asia. So I was kind of spending my time between um, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, Ho Chi Minh City, Bangkok, Manila, uh, and sometimes uh, Seoul in Korea. For some reason, they threw Korea in there. <laughs> Um, but yeah, every time I was traveling to, to Vietnam, like I really felt like it would, it just fit my, mm -hmm. I guess, like what I was looking for much more at that time, uh, than, than Singapore did. So I told my boss like, Hey, would you mind moving me to, uh, to Vietnam? Um, and he said, sure. And he was like, do you want to keep your Singapore salary in this, uh, going into this developing economy? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be so, great. Yeah. I lived a good life here. <laughs> wow. I yeah, was love a good move. it. That's amazing. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. Um, well, I would talk forever about non-business items, but I would love to talk a little bit about your chief experience officer title and the company mm. you're working with now. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. So first of all, my tip to everyone, you know, like get to a position where you can make up your own job titles so you can give yourself oh, yeah. ridiculous titles like yeah, yeah. chief experience officer. Liz, what yeah, is your I'm, title? I'm the founder <laughs> and boss lady. Boss lady, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how it's supposed to be. Don't don't take any of those like corporate job titles that other people have made up for you. Uh, break the molds, do something well, different. It was funny when I was uh, when I had my own co-working business here in Austin. Before it was cool, I was the curator, and then curator got nice. way overused. So I thought nice, about, I'm nice. like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Mm -hmm. And I figured out that the main thing I did was make decisions. So I became the hmm. the DM. I was the decision maker. Nice. Very nice. So Very I'm, descriptive. I'm totally with you on make that 
make that shit up. Yeah, wonderful. Actually, there was an article uh, maybe like two months ago uh, on a, on a popular news site here that says every company should have a chief experience officer. And I was like, well, here we go. Finally, <laughs> our day has come. Our mm. day has come. Yeah, but I think like in the context of you know uh, what you know probably more more than anyone you know like in in what we deliver, it really is about like the total experience. Um, you know, people don't come to us for just a desk to sit at, especially in this kind of like post COVID world. Like, you know, you can right. do work from anywhere as Anthony Slumbers always says, you know, you don't go to the office to have a meeting with yourself. Um, so, you know, it really is about the total experience. And so um, I think we were originally inspired by an article in uh, HBR um, that talked about sort of like this new kind of C-level position that would cross EX and CX with mm -hmm. the idea that if you deliver a great experience for your employees, that that's how it sort of translates to a great customer experience because mm -hmm. You know, in, in our business, basically, like a happy community manager obviously makes for much happier customers um, mm -hmm. than if uh, someone is sitting there moping at the front desk. So that mm -hmm. was really the original kind of like inspiration. But then really, when we got into it more, you know, and thinking about what is really the service that we provide to the companies in our spaces, you know, it really is about the total workplace experience, you know, the total experience of their employees in our spaces. So, you know, the the, the title became a bit more more meaningful or substantiated, mm -hmm. I should say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And how long have you been there? So right now I've been there for a year and four months Oh wow! Uh, in, in, in earth time. And I would say in, in sort of like perceptual time, a decade or two. <laughs> COVID was, you know, like the first decade of that. And then, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. the other sleepless nights. Uh, <laughs> and how many locations yeah. do you guys have? So right now we have uh, five locations. Mm -hmm. uh, I will forgive everyone who, who doesn't have the geography of Vietnam, like uh, right top of mind. But basically all the way in the north towards China, we have Hanoi, which is our official capital, um, mm -hmm. where we have uh, one location. Um, mm -hmm. We have uh, like a six floor space, about 4,000 square meters. I think in feet, that's times 10, maybe. Um, <laughs> and then uh, in Saigon and Ho Chi Minh City in the south, uh, which is kind of like the commercial capital. Uh, we have four locations. We just opened up one location uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're looking to open up three more locations this year. Awesome. So, and most of those will be much larger in size. So we're, we're really kind of like probably doubling or tripling in size in the coming year, sort of in the post-COVID office world. Interesting. So what does the post-COVID office world look like? Um, I'm, I'm totally interested in, you know, before COVID, lots of suites were popping up where it was kind kind of mm -hmm. like a bigger space with an office within the office, maybe a meeting room within the office, maybe a phone room within the office. And then some people are like, oh, we need tons of one person offices now. And it just seems like it, it's evolving and changing. Like in the US, one of the things we've seen is actually a higher demand for dedicated desk space as people come back. And me personally, when I went back to co-working, I went back to the open plan area because to me, mm. not not having walls and having tons of air without barriers felt safer. So I'm super curious yeah. how y'all's yeah. design has evolved due to COVID. So I think most of the real changes haven't been so much in the physical design because, you know, like we talked in the beginning, there isn't really that sense of safety concern. So mm -hmm. um, people don't really focus so much on, you know, is it safe to work here? Right. I haven't really seen anyone doing real adjustments in terms mm. of, um, you know, like... Um, 
making certain spaces unavailable or doing extra mm-hmm. security measures other than, you know, kind of like what, what in Asia was already basic hygiene, which is basically you always wash your hands, you always wear a mask when you're not yeah. feeling well or when you want to project yourself from others. So, right. um, you know, it was quite normal for us to see people walking around with masks. So, you know, the post-COVID world is no, no exception. So, so I think the big difference, yeah, go ahead. So were people sent home to work? Were you guys part of the giant global everybody go work from home experience or were you guys just not part of that? Yeah, we had basically in uh, March last year, we had about two weeks uh, where it started to really peak. And in our mm-hmm. case, peaking meant that we had like 20 or 30 cases per day in, in a Unreal. country of 100 million. Unreal. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's when the government said, like, you know, we strongly suggest to stay at home for about two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, like most people did it, although there were certain locations where still a lot of people showed up um, because we have a lot of people who, you know, whose home environment really isn't conducive to working from home. So we still had a lot of people coming into the spaces. Um, We had one location that was running at about 50 percent capacity Mm -hmm. uh, just because, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, either they live in multifamily homes. So it means that, you know. If you're lucky, you're sitting at a kitchen table um, with, you know, both babies and elderly running around you. Um, There is cooking happening on one side. There is like people screaming on the other side. Usually homes aren't close to the outside. So you may may have like a metal gate towards the street or towards, um, you know, like your floor. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's just like so much noise also from coming from outside. There's no air conditioning. Um, And then there's definitely no amazing community management. So there was a lot of reasons for people to kind of come back in. And then the other group of people that really came back in, those were the people that actually don't live in the city, but they only kind of like come here during the week. And then um, they spend their nights at kind of in dorm rooms, like in basically Mm -hmm. in hostels. And then during the day, they come work for a company like a backend coder or like a software developer. And on the weekends, they go back to their hometown. So for them, like there was no way like that you would sit on top of a bunk bed with with crappy Wi-Fi to to do coding. So yeah. Yeah, we, um, you know, we talk about it a lot, I think on every Juicy podcast podcast recently that like mm-hmm. having a home office is a it's a sign of privilege oh, and, totally. and you know people I'm saying it from my home office but yes <laughs> <laughs> same same so privileged um, but I think it's good to have an awareness of you know that mm. we are privileged and Absolutely. there are other yeah. people that desperately need the spaces we provide not just for yeah. an office space but also for mental health and for yeah technology and for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. So I want to quickly dovetail into, we had talked um, in the past about, you know, different models. And I know that you have kind of a unique model. And whereas a lot of the world is going to space as a service, which I think, you know, from reading my co-working megatrends, I'm not a mm-hmm. fan of because I feel like that, <laughs> that's just like, yeah, here's a desk and a chair. Enjoy. Right. And, and, right. And I really like how you guys kind of turned it and turned it into workplace experience as a service. So can you tell me a little bit about that and how you came to that? And then the other thing, while you're talking about it, if you can also talk a little bit about on your website, you say that you guys base this off of five years of research. And it's mm-hmm. not common for co-working spaces to be good at research, compile their research and share their research. So I think it's unique that you guys are doing that element as well. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so that's basically what happens when you put a strategist into a co-working space, I guess. There's <laughs> like a lot of, you know, you know, I'm just so used to working in that kind of like UX kind of way mm. where it's all about, you know, you get you get user research and then you build your product around that. So that's, you know, kind of and, and also the generally the startup mentality of of build, measure, learn. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, to go back to your first question, basically. You know, space as a service, of course, is already a step up in my mind from kind of the traditional office. And I think that that's sort of like a good thing that people see it more as it really is. It is a service layer on top of something. But I think when we look at it and, and again, coming maybe coming from that like UX strategy background, you know, when we look at it, we think about, you know, what Anthony Slumbers always says, right? Companies don't want offices. They just want a productive workforce. So when we really go back to how do we design the best possible product for companies to buy, we really have to go back to what are their core needs mm -hmm. and i'm sure it's not so different in any other market than vietnam but it's an extremely competitive job market here so all the companies are vying for the same talent so if you ask a yep. company what problems are you really trying to solve yeah they'll say funding they'll say you know growth they'll say marketing but the i think the most universal one is attracting engaging and retaining the best talent in the markets and when you think about like attracting, engaging, and retaining talents, you know, there's a huge place for the office, not so much just the physical space, but really as a manifestation of your company culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so really we've built the whole, kind of like the whole product, the whole solution around that specific pain points um, to kind of, you know, think about it from like a design thinking perspective or an innovation uh, dilemma perspective, right? Um, we kind of start with that pain point and say, well, how can we help help companies solve that? And I think it helps also that my, you know, my other colleague, my my CEO comes from an HR background. So really sort yeah. of like versed in, you know, what is the HR side of this? So we've basically looked into, you know, what do the best companies in the world do when it comes to delivering like super engaging workplace experiences that, you know, attract the, uh, attract the right people that make the people who work for them, you know, more creative, more collaborative, more productive, more inspired. And then of course they retain them longer, right? Because if you're with a company and you're really enjoying your time there, like all the people who work for Juicy, it's like, why would you ever leave? Like, why would you ever go to mm -hmm. any other organization or any other company? And so we've kind of started with that sort of, you know, dilemma of, you know, how do you, how do you do that through the office plus plus? And that's kind of what we build. So we started with Yes, the physical design, of course, you know, the quote unquote office needs to be really nice. And so we can talk probably a little bit about our shared passion for mm -hmm. well-being, our shared passion for supporting people mentally. So so the office is definitely like a, a really important starting point. But I think for us, you know, just listening to companies and, and using that kind of like five years of experience in, you know, seeing how companies use space and like what people really need, it's much more than that. So I think we've kind of built three layers on top of the office and I think together we would bundle that and say that is the product workplace experience as a service i think the first layer is really hospitality so you know this is probably nothing strange to hear for for community managers but i think for a lot of kind of normal offices and for even some shared space providers there is reception there is you know people who can help you do functionally you know the things mm -hmm. you need to do like printing mm -hmm. or book a meeting room but we've kind of like gone through the process of replacing or upskilling people from just being a receptionist to being someone with kind of like a hospitality vibe. You know, we hired from five-star hotels. We hired yeah. people away from resorts, from international hotel school. I read the book, 
setting the table by Denny Meyer. Oh, I love really that early book. On. It's one of my all-time Amazing favorites. book, you know, and 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 like when I started reading about HQ, this this idea that you like you could have IQ, EQ, you know, he talks about HQ, like the best people in hospitality just have that little thing extra that, that other people don't totally. have, you know, and it's things like empathy and kindness and really the things you need to care for people. And I think, you know, again, in a post-COVID world, people don't come to the office anymore to just sit down and do work. That's one part of it, of course, but it's really to connect with people, to feel that sense of like belonging when you step into a space. So our people really need to be that first face that you see. They need to know you by name, like your favorite barista or your favorite bartender, depending mm-hmm. on what time of the day it is, right? So Hospitality is really the first layer that we really need to build onto the physical workspace. The second one is around engagement. So this is really where we get into, you know, we do things like Dreamplex Academy. Um, We have a program called Dreamplex Play. We have Work Well, which is all the kind of things that companies normally would offer their employees. We do that as sort of like a programmatic layer um, on top of the workspace. Mm -hmm. And that is very personalized. So it's very data-driven and very personalized. And then the final layer is like an actual tech layer that allows us to actually measure in real time how our spaces are performing, uh, collecting tons of data points. I think we try to make some kind of calculation like how much data we're collecting, but it's like kind of endless, Um, but very, very helpful data in sort of constantly optimizing the products. So I have so many questions, I don't even know where to start, but I'm gonna first validate- Start with the first one. I'm gonna first validate (laughs) that you know, pre-COVID, the number one problem for all CEOs globally, per the World Economic Forum, was talent retention and attraction. So mm-hmm. that is 100% it. There you go, global. Um, and love that you're, instead of, you know, so many operators are just trying to get somebody in the door, and instead mm-hmm. you're going to the companies and saying, how can I help you with your biggest problem? Huge, great shift. And so on the data point, what software are you using? How are you collecting it? How are you getting people to respond to it? Because that is, again, I feel like it's just a black hole for a lot of co-working spaces. And I would say for many companies, right? So when I was still in marketing, you know, everyone was talking about data. Oh, you need to collect data. You need to like, mm-hmm. and of course we love selling KPIs. it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know, like it was just like an amazing thing to sort of tell companies that you need it because the company typically didn't know what to then to do with it, which means there's even more of a reason to keep that vendor sort of like close to you. But at the end of the day, again, like taking the startup mentality of build, measure, learn, you know, you can start with some kind of hypothesis of what you think users will like or what you think, you know, in, in our case, empl- employees will like. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to at some point start validating those hypotheses before you like put them into the total product. So very similar to a, to, to, to a startup. And I think, you know, my role in, in what I do is basically, it's actually very similar to like a head of product at a startup, really designing the product and then delivering it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it really starts with that data collection. So in good UX fashion, data collection goes in like many, many different ways. It's actually not all software related because sometimes mm-hmm. I think we collect the best data by, for example, doing typical UX research tactics like, you know, we want to improve our pantry space, right? Like what's the mm-hmm. easiest way to improve it is to wait for people until they've just used the pantry, go up to them and say, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. Can I ask you a few questions? Mm-hmm. 
Question number one, you just used the pantry. What did you love about it? Question number two, what did you not like about it? And if we could change one thing, what would it be, right? You do 40, 50 of those interviews, you get a really good sense for how to improve that specific thing. Then of course, on top of that, we do do stuff uh, in an automated way. So we do do CSET for, you know, different parts of what we offer as the product. We do run NPS surveys. We do periodic surveys for the different elements of what we do. So for mm -hmm. example, like training and development is a really big part of what we deliver for companies because again it's one of the key tools to you know retain people um, because they feel like they're growing which is really the, the number one thing that we want jobs for nowadays especially mm -hmm. you know in our market which is mostly gen z and millennial that's like 80 percent of the workforce so you know like when we collect that kind of data then we can immediately optimize our our product from there so there's really a lot of different data sources that we tap into um, mm -hmm. and not everything is like super high tech you know like ux research is not that sometimes you get the best insights and you were yeah. mentioning Eve before, right? Like he, he does this too with his company, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you can get the best insights just by sitting in a space and seeing how people use it rather than trying mm -hmm. to get like anonymized data. That's totally. not to say that we don't go into getting sensor data, that we don't track people, like how they behave on the mobile app, that we don't, you know, like do all those things. Mm -hmm. But I think it needs to be kind of like a sensible combination of all these things to, to get the right insights. Yeah. Yeah. So um, another question for you on the training and development. I'm so curious, like, is uh, is a training and development that you offer courses that companies have said, would you please train my people on X? Um, mm -hmm. Do they get like, you know, credit at their company for having taken that training? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So basically, again, when we're trying to create a really great workplace, we just look at the best companies in the world. And, you know, when you ask people, like, what are the best companies in the world to work for? You know, it's always the same names that come up. It's like, oh, like, I think Google is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like maybe, uh, maybe not anymore, but it used to be Facebook. Maybe now <laughs> I should say Instagram, you know, it's like, oh, or wouldn't you love to work at like something like Salesforce or like HubSpot has like an amazing company culture. There's these companies that are really famous for, you know, just delivering a great employee experience, mm -hmm. great workplace experience. And one of those things that always comes up as one of the main drivers, and that's why every big company in the world does it, is training and development. Because mm -hmm. I think, again, you know, we are people, right? And, and, yeah. and we talked about this the last time. When we, in conversations about offices, like how often do you hear the word people? How often do you hear the word humans, right? Mm -hmm. So all of this is about being absolutely employee-centric. So you have to go back to people. What does motivate people? What does drive people? If we want to create a sticky product, right, that, that companies love to use mm -hmm. and employees love to use, you have to tap into the real things that drive us, right? And that is a sense of purpose, a sense of growth. Hey, in my time here, I see myself progressing. I see mm -hmm. myself growing closer to my ideal self. So training and development is a huge component of that. And we do it in a couple of different ways. We do it both kind of formally and informally. Formally, we do uh, courses that are based on what our company clients are asking us. So mm -hmm. we do periodic surveys. We say, you know, we're going to do another round of training and development. Mm -hmm. You know, what would you like to see? And typically it's kind of like a 50-50 mix between soft skill training and hard skill training. So people always want to get better at their job. But at the same time, there's also kind of these interpersonal soft skills yeah. 
that you know you mentioned i think world economic forum right like mm-hmm. one of the main things that they said about the 21st century is that you know if we want to compete with the ais and with the computerization of the world it's really not kind of like the stuff that we learned in school that's going to set us apart you know if we want to thrive we need to learn collaboration we need to learn mm-hmm. leadership we need to learn creativity we need to learn critical thinking you know problem solving those kind of skills so that comes up a lot and for those we do we do actual courses mm-hmm. so people can just uh, submit their application it's uh, usually three month courses and it ends with a certificate that they can put on their wall and they say wow nice. great i've completed that so that's one thing then obviously similar to i think what a lot of co-working spaces would do we invite guest speakers so yeah you know every month there's usually like one or two people who come in and talk about a certain topic again very similar to what large companies would do um, and then the third one is a mentoring program so basically again sort of focusing on you know our target audience is really companies between 30 and 200 people typically a little bit too small to really mm-hmm. build all of this for themselves yeah. Um, and 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 that's why, you know, similar to how in co-working spaces, companies or startups would share space. In this case, you share a training and development program and you share kind of like a strategic HR function, which is really what we do for them. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that, that really happens in smaller companies is that, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if you remember, like when you work in a smaller organization, you know, you may have a question that normally you would go to your senior for. But mm-hmm. in a smaller company, that person may not be there. Like you may be, even as the only HR person in the company, mm-hmm. you may be directly under the CEO. So you're not going to go to your CEO for some question about the labor law, for some question about, I've heard about recognition is very important for employee mm-hmm. experience. How do I do it? Because you don't want to look, you know, I mean, there's a sort of like a sort of like a shyness here that you wouldn't really do that. So we basically have built a panel of experts that anyone in our member base can book 30 minute time slots with. And they can say, look, you are, and these are really like national experts and usually Mm -hmm. like quite well known. You are an expert in leadership. You're an expert in growth marketing. You're an expert in UI. You're an expert in Mm -hmm. uh, career development. This is my problem. How can I solve it? And they either sit down with them or do a Zoom call. Um, So, you know, we're trying to do, yeah. Combining the formal with the informal, but getting to the same end goal of, of growth and development. Yeah, I love that. That's it sounds really great. And I and also some new takes on it and fantastic. And like the other thing that like if you think about it, you know, you form a lot of your friendships while you're while you're learning, you know, when you're in classes, when you're in college, when you're, you know, that's you get to know people because you're spending time with them and you get put in groups. And so it's just awesome for for humans to connect that way as well. Um, And not only are you like connecting with people, but you're connecting with like-minded people because everyone mm -hmm. who came to that class about, you know, leadership for middle management is in the Mm -hmm. exact same position as you. But because there's no one else in your company who's in that position, you never had that sort of peer-to-peer conversation about those kind of struggles. What is it like to be a 28-year-old in this kind of role in this kind of company? But Mm -hmm. now you find yourself in a meeting room with 15 people who are in exactly the same spot. And even though they may have been in the same building as you, you may never have run into them. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that I very early on, um, I watched an interview with uh, with Miguel, one of the co-founders of uh, <laughs> WeWork. Uh, sorry, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that word, but, uh, you know, and, and he talked about this amazing book by Priya Parker called The Art of Gathering. Oh, I love which that Which is really book. about, I mean, so, so you know, right? Like yeah. when you get Great into book. that, right? It's all about like designing every step of any kind of gathering that you do. And a really big part of it is to say, 
even when you come into a classroom, you have that opportunity to connect people who are at similar life stages with similar struggles or similar goals or demands. And you can do something to basically connect them. So we actually design those, even classroom settings, to be community sort of like uh, generative uh, mm-hmm. community activities. So we always do, you know, we basically, when we bring on new teachers, we always like bring them through sort of like the way that we yeah. do it. And we say, there needs to be some kind of exercise where people get to know each other, go around the table. Why are you here? What is your goal? Mm-hmm. Then you see people making these connections with like-minded people. And just to go back, I'll, 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 I'll end with this sort of thought that, you know, when you think about one of the things that we always hear is really difficult for community managers or for co-working space owners mm-hmm. is why does no one come to my events? I'm mm-hmm. throwing these like monthly parties, but no one comes. And well, yep. guess what? Not everyone likes parties. Not everyone is yep. an extrovert um, who wants to go to some big open floor where you're normally just spending your time working. And all of a sudden I'm supposed to be in a party mood. Mm-hmm. And that is really about when you bundle all that demand of what people are actually interested in, then you can take those 15 people across, you know, like a thousand, 2000 members and say, you know, you are going to go and do a leadership training, right? And and then you can actually do activities and events that people do really respond to. And so that's a big part of sort of our drive for personalization so that, you know, we may have 30 events per month and it may only be one that's relevant for you, but that one is going to deliver you extreme value because it's like, it's tailor-made for you. Like yeah. these guys really get me. Thank you for yeah, snooping on me. Thank you for collecting my data. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was really funny. We had, we had that problem at my co-working space and I did this big survey to find out like why aren't people going? And the like mm-hmm. the the most common response I got which I thought was hilarious was I don't want to go to the events but I like that you do them. Please continue to do them. Right. <laughs> so what do you do? You actually, you keep putting them on, but but you just buy less beer or like, what, what are you supposed to do? I know. Hilarious. Humans. That's the thing. I always, you know, people don't realize like, you, you know, co-working is managing humans and humans are messy and they're complicated yeah. and they're like, yeah. it's just, a, it's hard. Okay. So we, well, have- you know, Mark Dixon's famous quotes that we probably repeat to each other as a mantra, like once a week. Mm-hmm. Managing co-working spaces is not for the faint-hearted, <laughs> and I think totally the true. first time we heard that quote, um, you know, uh, Mark Dixon from uh, IWG, the well, first you know, the first time we heard that quote, we we that was before COVID. And we we're like, yeah, that's probably true. And then, like two months later, we we're like, oh, this is true. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, um, my quote is, "Co-working is running adult daycare." Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we are totally running through time. So I've got to immediately Mm. switch over to health and wellness and mental health, because as you know, this has been a passion of mine for over five years. Um, When I first read Sanjay Gupta's HBR article, it was revolutionary to me. And then Mm. we had Casper talk to us about you know, how horribly disconnected we are in the world. And, you know, the number one thing, the the most costly health item for all companies globally is depression. It's Mm -hmm. not addiction. It's not obesity. It's depression. Mm -hmm. And um, if you haven't read the Healthy Workplace Nudge, you must. Um, I, I have it right here. Oh, excellent. And so, so I've been, you know, an advocate for addressing mental health for a long time, and really um, think that COVID has ushered in um, health and wellness into our industry. And I'm super psyched about it. But I know you guys have a focus on that as well. 
So tell me how you guys got interested in providing spaces that address health and wellness and what you guys are doing to address mental health. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's definitely sort of a passion that we share. Um, actually, my time in between working at the advertising agency at Dreamplex, um, I actually started a, a media company focused on um, letting young Vietnamese find their why in life and then mm. building towards it. Um, so it was kind of like sort of a combination of a popular youth magazine with life coaching um, and really showcasing stories of people, you know, who have found their way, um, who kind of found something that they're really passionate about and then like, kind of like build their life around it and like how could that help you to get there um and honestly that's sort of what was was the original idea of you know how can we inspire people to live happier mm -hmm. you know and live mm -hmm. healthier and then you know really getting into it and starting to talk to people like i just uncovered so much pain and so much like difficulty there's just such an interesting again cultural context here um, mm -hmm. Because people, it's very, it's like a very, you know, it's a very collectivist society. So what people think of you is so incredibly important, which really, really builds mm -hmm. up a lot of pressure for people to perform in a certain way and to be in a certain way. I think there's probably no market in the world where the percentage of people who are in the wrong job <laughs> is just incredibly high because you just follow what your parents want for you. You study what they want for you, then you end up taking a job that what they want for you. Mm -hmm. And then you find yourself two to three years into your job really burning out because you're not living yourself, right? So I think it's called like the self-discrepancy theory, where it's about like the more that you live a life that's not you, the further you move away from your real self, the wider that gap becomes. And that's, you know, eventually it always like ends in depression. It ends in, you know, anxiety. You have this feeling of there's something not quite right. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually the reason when we really got sort of deeper into that, that when I started talking to this company, uh, Dreamplex, that there was like this like really interesting overlap because I think a lot of these things, these questions, these issues come up during work because that's really for young people like in their, in their early mid-20s where you run into a lot of these issues, right? When you mm -hmm. start through work sort of like realizing that maybe you're not living the right life. And so one of the first things that I did when I started was to implement... Um, a, a, a nudge program around uh, mental well-being and basically like what are all the small things really inspired by positive psychology you know what are all the small things that you can do throughout your day to live a healthier life and obviously that's a lot about mental uh, well-being mm -hmm. so you know we put kind of like really funny signs like all around the spaces you know we just went from like really high-tech talking about data to not talking <laughs> about signage but you know like and we did it obviously obviously like with a content campaign and we did like uh, mm -hmm. talks and and all that stuff around it too but simple things like you're washing your cup of coffee, why not use it instead of at the same time looking at your mobile phone, um, use it as a, a little mindfulness moment. Um, mm -hmm. Or hey, you're waiting for the elevator, right? Why not mm -hmm. like strike up a conversation because connections is really what you know makes us feel well. Uh, hey, instead of like actually taking the elevator, we have these signs that say, take your first step to health. Terrible mm -hmm. pun, but that's mm -hmm. what happens when you appoint me as the copywriter. And it basically <laughs> leads into the staircase, right? So we're just trying to surround people with these little nudges of like, yes, you could do your normal habits. Yes, you could do your normal way, but mm -hmm. there's probably something better. So, so people are already surrounded by all that kind of language is very unheard of here in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, we do mental health talk. So we often bring in, we actually have a partner who provides free 24 seven mental health consulting to all of wow. our members, but That's they awesome. also come into the space and they kind of like, 
you know, there's a huge stigma still for it. Like you cannot mm. talk openly about any of these topics, yeah. like in no way, but they will do it through the lens of something like, yeah. you know, like feeling stressed and then they get into mm -hmm. the stuff that, that they really want to talk about. So we do that. And then additionally, again, we have like part of those experts, part of that coaching mentoring program, uh, our people are really focused on, you know, on life coaching, on helping you through the mm -hmm. struggles. So we have that sort of like an, as an additional line. So the 24-7 one is really more from a medical perspective. Mm -hmm. So those are like trained psychologists. Mm -hmm. Then we do sort of like the nudges program. Then we have the talks periodically. And then we have, you know, the experts. Like if you really cannot find your way, you can kind of reach out mm -hmm. to them. And then the final one that we do, but this probably will sound too cliche, but I'll just throw it in there since we do it, um, is yoga. <laughs> Because yeah. come on, like what's better than to like stretch it out after a stressful week? Oh, I um, so love so we, we we still have that. Yes, love it, love it. <laughs> but I feel like it's one of those things that. that. But it well, there's nothing wrong with it. But it but it feels to me sometimes that companies feel like you know they offer yoga once a month and it's like well totally. I've checked and off my mental yeah, well-being. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. Terrible. I think you know it's really about being bold enough to have the conversations that are sometimes mm -hmm. uncomfortable or hard. So difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I recently but can, I, can I build one thing of that? I know we're running like way out of time, but I think one thing on top of that, the most stressful thing for people in their jobs is usually their boss. Mm -hmm. So I yep. actually think that one of the biggest things that we can do when it comes to mental mm -hmm. well-being is transform company cultures from the inside out, retrain managers to not be bosses who are delegating work 24 seven, but the boss as a coach, uh, servant yep. leadership. So that is a really big part of actually we're launching that this year. We call it Future Co, which is basically how can every company become like these like companies that are really involved with their employees, like truly yeah. employee centric companies. I think that is another like huge thing that basically anyone, this is not, it doesn't cost any money, but just to get, you know, like the managers, the people who are responsible on a day-to-day -day basis for what it's like to work for a company, to mm -hmm. get them into that mindset of, you know, being empathetic working with their team rather than just like having their team work for them, et cetera. Yeah. And all the data to support that is in the healthy workplace nudge. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you can, yeah. you can just like read through that book. Yeah. Yeah. Just read yeah, that but book. But you know, it's, it's like, <laughs> but it's like knowing and doing is always like such a different thing, right? Totally. You see all these stats, you see all these quotes, you see all this like thought leadership, but you know, like who is going to do it is always like the big question. Well, and that's and, the thing that I love is instead of waiting for the company to do it, you as the co-working space are doing it for them so that they will have happy employees that want to stay employed by that company. And then you're solving their biggest problem. It's brilliant. And I could talk to you all day, but I know it's late at night and you have a newborn. <laughs> so I won't do that to yeah. you. I'll just schedule some more time on your calendar. But um, I have one final question for you. And whenever I find mm. somebody that's well-traveled, I ask them this question. And let me just caveat mm. with it with, I am not giving you a plane ticket. But uh, if I okay. were... <laughs> to give you a plane ticket and say, you can go back to one place in the world you've been that you would love to go back to tomorrow. Where would it be and why? Yeah. So if I want to be a good son, I obviously have to say I want to go back home to see my parents because, right. you know, usually they would right. visit like once a year, um, but they haven't been able to come back for now two years, mm. basically, because of everything wow. that happened. However, since I'm not <laughs> a good boy, uh, <laughs> let me let me say the selfish answer. Yeah. If I could go anywhere, especially after this hectic year, it would definitely be uh, Kyoto. Um, you know, like I've traveled to Japan like a bunch of times, but I think especially Kyoto, you know, we, we spend a week 
week there basically like sleeping in a temple waking up like every day 4 30 a.m being part of the morning prayers mm. you know as a you know sort of uh, fake buddhist um you know like those moments were just so incredibly impressive and just being away from everything and just really focusing again on on you know what what really matters i think we are already in an industry where you know if we're doing it right we're helping people right i always say we all spent you know, I think the stats are like 80,000 to 100,000 hours at work. If mm -hmm. we make work great, we make life great. So I think we're, we're contributing positively to people's lives. And that's obviously like, that's really our aim and our mission. Um, so it's not like we're, you know, s sitting at a bank selling kind of like weird financial derivatives mm -hmm. and, you know, we need to refocus. But still, even with all that, the day-to-day, -day, sometimes you get too much into the logistical, too much into the operational, too much stressing about stuff, you know, that really probably doesn't matter all that much. So coming back into that true routine of, you know, meditation, meditation and mm -hmm. you know being around that kind of like energy yeah really really helpful so i would definitely travel to kyoto um although right now it's kind of cold so like hold, <laughs> hold that plane ticket oh no wait there was no plane ticket okay oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> thank you again dan for this sure, edition of the juicy podcast i can't wait to follow you and dreamplex and see where this all goes so well, no, you, you should say, I cannot wait to visit. But well, unfortunately, I don't have a plane ticket for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're hilarious. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us for another Juicy Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe. And we'll see you next time. 